All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 37 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli coming to you once again from the woodjerseys.com studio. You see our lovely Boston Bruins wood jerseys. You can get it in uh, your favorite team. Just go to uh, woodjerseys.com. And right now for Father's Day, they have a great special DFO Dad 15. We'll get you 15 bucks off. Your order, if you want to order for dad, who's a fan of one of your teams, go there. They keep adding new teams, so check out every week to see which team you can get as we welcome in uh, Frank Saravalli. And Frank, I see you got the hoodie, so you must have got your care pack. Yeah, it's great. You guys uh, arrived on my doorstep on Saturday. It was like, it was great. You guys found uh, Pennsylvania. Good. Yeah, that's it. A little little extra shipping time, I guess. You know, they got to check everything at the border nowadays. So you got a little sketchy though. So Philadelphia, they always got a double yeah. check for Sarah. They were like, who's sending a mug? And they were like, what's in that mug? <laughs> that little roasty coffee. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we're into the, I guess we call it the conference finals, even though they say they're not handing out the trophies, but they're playing in the, I don't even know what's going on, but we we're know calling it the semifinals, the final yeah. four, the final four and the New York Islanders for one game, they might've played the perfect game for the New York Islanders and, you know, possession, uh, possessing the puck, not giving up uh, many chances. They're, what with Tampa Bay was only on the power play once. Like, I don't know if you could have scripted a better game one for the Islanders. No, two things in the New York Islanders arsenal details and discipline. And they played both of those to a T. And I, I got to tell you for as well as the Islanders have played the focus from everyone has seemingly been on, what the, the Tampa Bay lightning did not do in game one. They just, they seemed off Jason. They seemed like a team that wasn't ready to play. They didn't have their usual intensity. Uh, and at times they just looked a little bit jumbled passes inside the zone. Weren't crisp. Uh, they just looked a little bit off kilter. And so I'm not sure if that's the, the Tampa Bay lightning trying to feel out the Islanders in game one. We had Brian Engblom on the pod last week and he was explaining that He's a big field guy. He thinks that there's a lot of that. And, and the Bolts have found a way this playoffs to, you know, wade their way into these series. The Florida Panthers tried to run them through the glass in their first round matchup. Then it was a lot different against the Carolina Hurricanes where they ratcheted up the intensity. Let's see if they can find a way to do that 
in Tampa Bay for game two as they try and uh, get a split on home ice. Yeah, I think, you know, I saw a lot of people, oh, the Islanders are going to win the series now. They, hey, pump the brakes. We, we know Vegas is taking on Montreal. And, you know, Montreal was down three to one in their series. Vegas was down two nothing in one After of their series. After that seven to one game against the Avs. Remember yeah. that? That's kind of what this felt like, though, was like not that, not the same thing of Vegas throwing away that first game, but it was almost like Tampa was like, okay, let's try and figure this out from here. Yeah, it would uh, give New York credit. And I, I think Tampa D Bay definitely can play better. But, you know, New York, as much as what Tampa didn't do, I think part of that was what New York did is they didn't allow Tampa to play how they wanted. Like, you know, Tampa had a good start. And then I think it was a stretch where they outshot them 13 to three in the, uh, in the latter stages of that first period. And I just seemed like after that, Tampa never really got into much of a rhythm. Like, you know, Braden Point scored late, you know, to make the score a little bit closer than maybe even it was. Like, I thought that was I, I, for the Islanders, like, they got to be ecstatic. And that's just going to give them confidence to say, hey, we can play that way. Plus, you know, we talk about the elite skill of Tampa. Well, Matt Barzell with an elite goal. Yeah, Barzell, you know, it's funny for a guy who's been rather quiet at times throughout these playoffs, at least point production wise. And we talked about this the other day, too. You see Pajot leading this team in points and Barzell is way down the list. I think when you get to this point in the playoffs, it's almost like, um, you know, Barzell can come alive and, and people are like, wait a second. Like, oh, yeah, they have that guy, too. And, and I don't know that. Um, I don't know that Barzell gets enough credit and it's not for the skill that he has or, or the things he can do. We all know that. And it's apparent, but I think with what Barzell has around him, if you were to take him and put him on a team like Tampa or a team like Colorado, he'd be one of those guys, 110, 115 points right in that, that wheelhouse. But because he plays on an Islanders team that has a way different approach to the game and stylistic uh, difference to the game, and plays in a very specific system. And the fact that he's not necessarily playing with the same sort of high octane players that the Avs or the lightning have, I don't know that he gets enough credit for what he has been able to do with that team. These playoffs so far, notwithstanding. And the other thing that really stood out to me was you look at Ryan Polak's goal, you know, and now he's got a can of a shot. I'm not taking anything away from him, but that's just not a goal you see beat Vasilevsky from just inside the blue line. No screen, no deflection. You know, so sometimes you got to win games when the other team, Frank, and you said like Tampa looked a little bit off. And like, I'll be surprised if we see another goal like that on Vasilevsky. Like that for him is like a below average goal. Yeah, there's so far and few between. It was a gift. I mean, look, it was... And that ended up being the difference in the game with that point goal that was scored late. And so if they weren't able to take advantage of that, the Islanders would really be kicking themselves. And now they're in a spot where they were able to button things up defensively, which they almost always do. Uh, they're so hard when they get a lead to come back on. Um, and in this case, they held on pretty firmly. You know, the Lightning, even with a power play late in that final minute, didn't really have a lot of great looks. You, you know, you see... Uh, Cal Clutterbuck and some of the other guys on that team really play very specifically to shade against, uh, you know, the, the Kucherov to Stamkos look that we've seen time and time again. Let's quickly switch to tonight's game. And of course you've got uh, Vegas and uh, Montreal starting, you know, these are two teams, unlike New York and Tampa, they at least face each other in the playoffs last year. These two teams don't see each other very often any season, and of course not in the postseason. Now, Petrie and Merrill are out for game one, and definitely Jeff Petrie. Like, he's one of their top four defense when they play their top four guys a lot. Like, when you look at series and maybe taking advantage of an opportunity for Vegas, like, this is the best chance they've got with one of Montreal's best defensemen out. I'm not saying they're going to beat them easily, but you know, if, if Petrie's finger and it's such a weird injury, mm -hmm. if he has to miss even two games, man, that's such a huge blow to Montreal. It is. And you know, I, I think to me, that's easily the most critical absence so far that we've seen in the playoffs. Uh, you can talk about Kadri and his suspension. You can talk about some of the other guys that have gone down due to injury so far, most teams have found a way to survive, but Jeff Petrie changes the dynamic totally him being out of that top four, you know, they're able to take their other guys, their fifth and sixth defensemen and really just kind of push them aside minutes wise. They're playing nine, 10, 11, 12 minutes a game. And they're really playing those other four with Petrie included 
you know, 20 to 25, 26 minutes a night. And all of a sudden you take him out. You have to elevate one of the players in there. I would imagine uh, Romanov stays in the mix. He actually was okay uh, in the game that he filled in for Petrie to close out the last round. But to me, um, you know, it, it goes off a cliff for the Montreal Canadiens pretty quickly once you go from that three defensemen that they do have in the lineup down to their uh, to the guy that's going to be filling that number four spot. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if it might be Brent Kulak. You just look at Romanoff played nine minutes in his first game, and then we've got Gustafson, and I just don't think they trust him enough Oof. defensively. I wouldn't trust play. him. Yeah. yeah. So um, looking at – you know, the, the other things around uh, outside of these two series, Frank, we're starting to see here we are, you know, we're in, entering the middle of June, which is usually in a normal year, like middle of May, yep. you know, you're into the final four teams. Other teams are now having their pro scout meetings, right? A lot of teams go out and they get together this week about pro, pro scout know, week, you know, teams that have free agents there, you know, a lot of teams that I've talked to, they feel like this is the week they're going to know if, if they have a chance to re-sign any of their free agents. And, like a team like Edmonton with Barry Nugent Hopkins and Larson is obviously a huge one in, in that regard. And, and there's definitely a few other ones. Let's quickly, uh, because they just finished uh, what, what's your, what's your feel uh, on Taylor hall? Like, I think he wants to be in Boston. I think the Bruins, like they feel their window is still open. Um, it was interesting. Hall, Krejci and Tuka Rask are all like, yeah, I'd really like to be here. You know, guys are like, you know, Rask even said, I'll retire. I'm not going anywhere else. And Krejci kind of hinted a little bit at the same thing. Like this might be the easiest off season negotiation Don Sweeney's ever had with some potential free agents. Yeah. Those are all words that you love to hear. If you're Don Sweeney, and you're trying to keep your core together and, and get a guy like Krejci at a much bigger discount than the ticket he was playing on last year, even though he's been really consistent and productive. Um, you know, for me with Taylor Hall, um, I, I know that I know what he said, and I, I do think that he's sincere and authentic in wanting to remain in Boston. I think it was a good fit in the regular season. I think the playoffs started off well, and then it got a little bit quiet, which is natural when your team ends up losing in the second round. Um, I, I do think that he's probably going to be looking for some term, and, and it's probably not going to be another one-year deal. And and look. Um, not to put too fine a point on the money. Cause I, I already hammered that point home with Tyler and buy or sell last week, but he he's at a spot where he was hoping to cash in on a really big contract at some, at some point. And not to say Taylor Hall is hurting for money by any stretch of the imagination. We know that's not true. Um, you know, given, you know, even his second contract in this league, but still, they were hoping for a little bit more security. I think it's fair to say, and to, you know, he got one year, 8 million last off season with the Buffalo Sabres. I would think he's probably looking at a two or three year deal this time around. And then the question is what's the AAV? Well, when you got Marshawn and Pasternak, I, I think in Boston, that's kind of the advantage you have a little bit there. So, you know, I could see Taylor Hall coming in just under those two guys for sure. And you're like high fives, low six uh, kind of area. Uh, another one that's interesting because there's not a lot of left defensemen available, Frank. And, you know, size is paramount and we see players, they get more experience. Jamie Alexiak, is, is there a chance like this might be the summer to cash in for Jamie Alexiak? Yeah, I think they're a hundred percent. That's part of it. Um, Jamie Alexiak was a guy that was in sincere demand uh, right up until the last hour of the deadline. Um, you know, he was a guy that I, I know the Dallas stars didn't want to lose. Obviously they ended up keeping him and they turned down some pretty significant offers from what I can tell. I think the Winnipeg jets were a team that made a real big play there in the last few hours, trying to pry him loose from Dallas and man, could the jets have used a guy like him in their lineup uh, in the playoffs? But um, you know, what does that next contract look like for Jamie Alexiak? I, I really can't tell. Like I have no, no real idea. It's, it's tough to, to sort out because I think pre pandemic, you can, you can pinpoint a number, but I'm still curious what that looks like post pandemic. And, and that's the thing, you know um, you know, there's a lot of guys out there, that you're like, huh, where does that guy fit in? And I, I know what it was pre-pandemic. I just, you know, the market changed in such a significant way over the last year that 
uh, we're, I think we're still kind of going through that feeling out process. Yeah, a little bit. He kind of maybe comes in the middle of a guy like Tanev or Hamannick, right? Who are obviously quite different in term and in salary. And then the other guys, Derek Forbert, Frank, uh, in Winnipeg themselves, like on a team that, you know, they, they felt like they want to improve their defense. Like there's not a ton of really elite top end defensemen available in free agency. And so, you know, Derek Forbert's another one, like, you just get a sneaky, see, sneaky good year. Yes. And teams value, and you know, he's got some experience. He's just kind of, we see historically how many defensemen, like Forbert might be a guy who's older, Frank, but when you sign him to three or four years, I think he's a guy that could live up to his contract, where in a lot of cases we see free agents get paid for what they did, not what they're going to do. And I think he's a guy that, you know, could could earn himself a pretty good contract and have a good potential to live up to it. Like I'm talking, you know, like maybe three mil, maybe three point five even for a guy like that well he he's sub 30 he's 29 and so i think that three-year four-year deal that term fits right in that wheelhouse and he's another guy that doesn't really have a lot of mileage on him he's played 331 regular season games he's played some in the ahl but not a ton he was a college guy so he didn't come into pro hockey until he was a bit older and you know, he's one of those guys that I think easily could live up to that in that window. And I got to tell you, since we're talking defensemen and I've done some homework on this in the last couple of weeks, one guy to really keep an eye on, and we'll see a lot in this final four as well. Alec Martinez has had an unbelievable season for the Vegas Golden Knights. He leads the postseason in block shots by a wide margin. I think it's more than 20 at this point in these playoffs. And he's been so, so good, a consistent offensive performer as well. He's another guy that's actually going to get a pretty big ticket. And he's a little bit older, as you mentioned, in that sort of 33, 34 range, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that he's going to get paid. Well, he's got two Stanley Cups, right? Uh, might be in a third Stanley Cup, depending on how far Vegas goes. He's got a lot of playoff experience. And you know what? I, I just think the, the premium on defensemen, we see it in the playoffs. We see the size of the defense. There's only one defenseman playing in the final four who's under six feet, and that's Andy Green. And, you know, he's played over 900 games. He has a ton of experience. It's just size is paramount with experience on the back end. I, I think now more than ever in, in the way that they want, obviously you have to have skill. Of course, you're not just putting, you know, a, a soup can back there, but guys mm -hmm. who can play like Martinez, who has that experience and, you know, he, he could, he could cash in as well, Frank. Like I, I think career defense, year, I mean, not like, not only does he block a lot of shots, 32 points in 53 games, yeah. 0.6 point per game this year. Uh, the best of his career, averaging 22-34 a night. Uh, he does turn 34 before that next contract begins. July 26th is his birthday, he turns 34. So, you know, he's, he's still going to get a, a four-year deal, I think, somewhere in that neighborhood. And, it, you know, my guess is it's somewhere six-plus. Yeah, well, and it's great that, you know, we talk about, you know, uh, veteran defensemen in Las Vegas, because that's who our guest is today. Uh, Derek England's going to join us. Talk. We're going to get into his career. He has an unbelievable career path. Really, I would say unexpected. When you look, it, there's very few players who are in the East Coast League for parts of four seasons who end up having a decade-long NHL career. Right. Like you might get a, you know, you might end up at having, a, you know, Alex Burroughs is one and there's been a few others, but it is rare. And Burroughs wasn't even in the ECHL for parts of four seasons. So uh, I look forward to having Derek England on to talk about that. One other one is the, uh, the Dougie Hamilton, Frank, you know what we had uh, Don Waddell, like Dougie Hamilton probably will be the biggest name for agent. I'm not to say the biggest the number one. We, he is. We, no, he's, he's certainly number one. When we did our rankings uh, a month ago, he was far clear and away the number one free agent available. Well, I was saying the biggest name maybe not available because Seth Jones could also be available. So it's a good uh, it's a good debate between the two. But you're right; you don't have to give up anything other than salary to get uh, Dougie Hamilton. And I know well, you've you got to pay lot. Seth Jones, and that's going to be such a big part of whatever trade happens. Is that you know it's probably going to include an extension right off the hop. Well, the team that I think should be interested in both, and and because they're they're right in their prime wheelhouse to win is the Colorado Avalanche, right? Like the, if, if you got to give up some pieces for Seth Jones, they got tons of good defense when they're young and Columbus is obviously probably going to enter kind of a retool rebuilding stage for sure. Like I just look at Colorado. I'm not sure there's a better team suited that needs Seth Jones. And if there's a team that could convince him to resign, it's like, Hey, come to Colorado. Oh, by the way, you're going to play with Kale McCarr on your team. You're going to play with Nathan McKinnon. Who's got a sweet deal for two more years and Miko Ranton. And you go down the list. Like, 
it's Tell me, rare. Jason, which team doesn't need Seth Jones? No, I, I no, but I mean, which team has the appeal like Colorado? There's there's maybe what seven or eight teams that I would put in the same category as Colorado. Like I think Colorado is entering. I know they've had you know two years in a row they've lost. Uh, you know they couldn't get past the second round, but they're a really good team. And you've got Nathan McKinnon for two more years on one of the best contracts in the yeah. NHL. Like it's I just, an easy sell, like a hundred percent. It's an yeah, easy it's, sell. Um, I'm just trying to think of some of the other teams that make sense. You know, Boston guy, would make sense too. Boston. I would, I would put Toronto in that category. Uh, Can what they about afford them though? Could Toronto afford them? Like, like they'd have to give up one of their big forwards to make yeah. that happen. And I think I, well, I think they would. Yeah. You know, and I, I hinted at this before we had Marner? Chris Johnson on Marner. 100 yeah. percent. that makes sense what about what about the new york rangers the flyers make sense yeah. um you know I, I think you you know pittsburgh like why wouldn't pittsburgh make sense do they uh, have the pieces though the pieces to make the trade yeah like that's what i think Colorado's not only good but they got a lot of these young pieces it's also an it, interdivision trade as well yes right well, so i yeah, think that's, that's something to consider um you know I don't know. Just going through the list, like uh, there's a lot. Of, I mean, St. Louis would make sense. Minnesota, like there's there's a whole host of teams that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, like Columbus going to Colorado, you're putting them in a different conference, right? So that's and the Kings. What about the Kings? Yeah, yeah, they got a lot. They got a lot of young players. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's a lot of teams that I I would include in that. Uh, you know, it's it's I, almost I, easier to say which teams it doesn't make sense on. I got to give your thoughts quickly on John Gibson and the Anaheim Ducks. Do you, like I look at John Gibson and I've been crunching numbers on value of players and the position. And I know that the last two years, his save percentage doesn't look great in Anaheim at 904 and 903. So, you know, maybe, but he's only a 6.4 contract, Frank. He's got six years remaining. Do you like the Anaheim Ducks are they're in that stage of rebuild? And I know it's, it's kind of strange to trade away a legit number one goalie when you're in that rebuild. But do you think there's any chance that uh, you think they would contemplate uh, a John Gibson trade this offseason? I was actually curious why you are asking about John Gibson because someone else asked me about John Gibson today. Well, I've just I've heard some rumblings about Johnny Gibson, and that's funny because it must like it must be going around because someone else was poking around today. They said, "What have you heard about John Gibson?" And I said, "Well, all I know is that before the deadline, I was trying to piece together what our Anaheim's game plan was, and I asked specifically about John Gibson because." You know, this was back pre-deadline when Pittsburgh's goaltending was still struggling. He's a Pittsburgh native. Would John Gibson make any sense on a team like the Penguins? And the answer I got from talking to some sources close to Anaheim was, no way. Why? Yeah. Who, who are we going to put in there? Who's going to, you know, we don't have anyone to bridge the gap. And not to mention he's one of the best goalies in the league. You know, these last couple seasons, save percentage-wise, haven't been pretty, but, you know, Look at what Carey Price is doing in the playoffs. They weren't pretty the last couple seasons for him either. It doesn't mean he stopped being a good goalie. So um, for me, I, I don't see it. And I can also tell you that Anaheim is looking to put the pedal to the metal this summer. They, they're not, you know, they're not trying to engage in a rebuild. They know that it's going to take a little bit of time and patience. And I think this year was humbling in the sense that they thought they'd take a bigger step, but I'd be real surprised if Bob Murray doesn't take a big swing on something this summer. Oof. Well, I, the Jack Eichel is another name we'll have to get into uh, a little bit more, but uh, we got to get to our uh, big guest today uh, brought to you by Jock MKT. It's a hybrid between fantasy sports and the stock market where you buy shares and stock on players if they're available. So you know what? You can't just buy the, the best ones. You got to make a deal when it's the right time when someone's willing to sell. It's a fantastic way. If you think you know the stock market and you think you know players and when to buy them at great low value, check it out and play it. Jock mkt.com our big guest today joins us he was a former moose jaw warrior then he battled it out for seven years in the minors before making his nhl debut with the pittsburgh penguins and then he spent a decade in the national hockey league his pro career started in vegas and it ended in vegas starts in the echl ends in the national hockey league defenseman Derek england joins us Derek, welcome to the dfo rundown how you doing Pretty good. Thanks for having me. 
Hey man, we're happy to have you here because I love stories like yours. So, you know, you're an undrafted kid in the WHL, you sign in Moose Jaw, uh, you get drafted by New Jersey. They don't sign you. You, you finish out your, your 20 year old season in Moose Jaw, and then you start out in the ECHL and you grind it out for parts of four seasons in the ECHL. And you spent lots of time in the AHL before finally you get to Pittsburgh. I just kind of want to go through, you know, that journey for you and, kind of the, the mental fortitude it takes. Cause a lot of guys, you know, three, four years in the ECHL, they're like, you know what, maybe it's not happening. What was your drive? Like what kept you going all those years? Uh, a lot of things. I think, you know, I finished junior hockey and uh, I kind of went home thinking that was the end of hockey and uh, trying to figure out what was, what was going to be next. And then Calgary calls me and asked me to come to their summer camp and, um, almost like a second chance, I guess you could say. And I uh, went there and signed, uh, signed with them and ended up in Vegas and kind of, I think just getting called up at the right time, just, you know, knowing you could play in the AHL and the AHL, not the NHL at that time, because that was far fetched for me, I guess, but, uh, um, just getting that taste and, um, you know, knowing you can play there and trying to, you know, it's, a it's a challenge to try to get up there. So uh, you get a little taste of it and then you want to get there and stay there and it kind of snowball effect all the way up to the NHL type thing. Well, you obviously had to be dedicated and have some control because there's not many pro players who start their career in their young twenties in Vegas, in sin city and, uh, and, and, and don't get in any trouble. Like, man, you look back on that, like what a crazy place to start your pro career. And, and obviously you never even thought you'd play in the NHL. There was no NHL team at that time, but how was it as a youngster playing for the Wranglers? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, it was expensive. You found out <laughs> in a hurry that, uh, <laughs> 500 a week doesn't, uh, doesn't go very far in Vegas. So, um, you know, you had your place paid for and stuff, but you go, I remember going out, uh, with the, for the first time with my wife, uh, Melissa, we took her out to rain nightclub in Palms and I bought, I think I bought four shots and four drinks for her, her friend, me and one of the guys. And, um, I think it was like 130 bucks or something like that for eight drinks. And I like, Oh no, I was trying to play big wig. And I'm like, oh, I'll get it. I was like, so I'd call my mom and hey, can you put some money in my bank account? And I'm, I'm completely out right now. So it was uh, definitely eye-opening. Was Derek, was there a moment for you when you got to the NHL that you finally felt comfortable? Like when was the moment you knew that you could stick around uh, for the long haul? Because I, I guess a lot of guys that go through the same path and journey that you did, they get there and they're constantly looking over their shoulder. Yeah. Um, I think I was probably when I retired, I, I guess, you know, I, um, you know, I always came back after the season, no matter where, where I was, Pittsburgh or Calgary, or, you know, I, I kind of thought Calgary was going to be my last contract. And then I ended up playing three more years. So um, I always came back in the summer and we'd always put uh, vacations on hold, going to see family on hold because I had to train and, uh, you know, I was never uh a, a shoe in for, for camp. I always had to go into camp and, uh, earn my spot every single year. It seemed like, so it's, uh, you know, I, I, I tried to train as hard as I could and come in in good shape because nowadays some, someone, I was the same way. I, I remember Jay McKee telling me, uh, before I made the team, he's like, don't take my spot next year. And, uh, you know, that's what younger guys are doing. They're trying to take your spot. And, uh, the minute I stopped working out, uh, that's the time that uh, I think someone would have taken it. So, so Vegas gets an NHL team in 2017. What were your feelings like ahead of the expansion draft? Were you hoping that Vegas would pick you? you I guess you you probably had a an idea that you would be exposed and be on the list. Uh, and then the idea that you end up in Vegas, where it all started. I mean, how did that all play out for you? Yeah, even when they announced uh, the ticket drive, so like a year or two before the expansion draft, two years before the expansion draft, we, my wife had stuff up in the house, like hoping that we'd end up here, you know, finish the career here. And um, so we were hoping. I knew I was going to be a free agent um, at that time. I didn't think I was going to go in the expansion draft just because they could take someone else and then just call me and say, uh, here's a contract for you type thing. So I, when they called on the, I think they called Sunday night and said they were interested before the expansion draft. We were pretty, uh, pretty excited. So it was, um, 
you know, long, long three days till we heard that it was a for sure thing, but uh, we were pretty excited to come here. Derek, we, we talked just before we came on, on air about, you, you know, your childhood and you moved around a lot. You know, you're born in Edmonton, you're in Leduc for a while, you're in Marathorpe and Whitecourt and a lot of other places in Alberta. Then you're in, in Sycamus when you got uh, signed in Moose Jaw. All that kind of moving around, I would think as a youngster that like you have to make new friends all the time and just, you know, deal with, you know, different adversity. Did, did When you look back, did that help you and maybe give you a, a thicker skin to just, you know, keep trying and, and, and be okay with, you know, mm-hmm. being in the ECHL and then you're in the AHL and you had to go back to the ECHL and then back to the, to the AHL. And even, you know, your, your first year in Pittsburgh, you, you played nine straight games in November, but then you went back and finished the whole year again. Like did your childhood and all that moving around kind of th- thicken up your skin and just how to deal with change? Yeah, boss. I never actually really thought about that. Uh, yeah, we moved around all over the place until grade six, and then we were in Chetwin. My parents are still in Chetwin up uh, in BC now. So, um, yeah, it probably helped a little bit uh, moving around and and stuff. But you know, at the end of the day, you're making money, even if it was in the AHL or whatnot. Uh, you're making money playing a game you love, and um, you know, there, there's definitely thoughts of, you know, maybe we should go over to Europe for a year or two and try that. That was at the time where uh, I think the cap in the AHL was like 105,000. We weren't, we weren't making that at the time, but um, there was a cap and all the different uh, call-up scenarios and stuff. So a lot of guys went overseas and we definitely had those conversations a few times. For you, um, you know, you're in the American league, were you always, as a young kid, like just that physical bruising defenseman, or did you play forward? Uh, were you a scorer? Were, you know, Derek England as as a young player, did he mirror Derek England as a pro player? No, definitely not. Um, I think uh, I was a lot more offense uh, when I was a kid. You know, I remember playing in Marathorpe, and me and another kid from uh, Swan Hill would always battle it out for, for points and stuff in our, in our league or our division or whatever. And, um, I don't think I started fighting really junior B was my first fight. Uh, I, I didn't know how to just kind of grab someone and, and, uh, did pretty good for myself. And, um, I think I had four fights that year. And then, um, my first year in Moose Jaw, I fought, uh, I remember fought, um, Graham Belak was my first, uh, Oof. I had no idea who he was. We were in Kootenai and uh, he ran me twice first shift. So I'm like, yeah, let's go. And my whole bench is no dude, don't fight him. Don't I did. All right. I got beat up, but I did all right. And then I never fought uh, till Christmas. And then I think I fought like 10 times in the last 15 games and I got drafted. So I kind of figured out uh, that was my, uh, my calling, I guess. So Derek, what are you up to now? What are you doing since you stopped playing? I still work for the team. I'm kind of doing a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of different things. So I'll, anything that bill, obviously anything bill needs for, uh, you know, the, the nights, his wine wineries or anything like that. So just kind of whatever he needs. Uh, we're starting the alumni here, me and Shane Knighty, um, do some of the learn to play stuff with the kids. Um, anything for the foundation. So the folded flag foundation or the Vegas golden Knight foundation. Um, then the, the alumni will have their own foundation as well. Um, skate some of the guys. If, um, the team's on the road, uh, guys coming back from injuries, I'll go out and run skates when, uh, when they need it. I've only done that a few times, but, uh, just kind of whatever, uh, George has called me a few times, George McPhee, a few times, uh, just asked me, Hey, do you mind doing this? Not at all. So, um, just kind of whatever they need. I go to the games and, uh, meet uh, sponsors and uh, kind of ambassadors, stuff like that. So kind of just doing a little bit of everything, touching everything. That's awesome. That's a great way to stay in the mix. And it's interesting that you use the word alumni because I was actually thinking about this today with the Golden Knights, even though they haven't been around all that long, even looking at this year's roster, there's still kind of quite a bit of turnover from that inaugural season when you guys went to the Stanley cup final. And I thought it was a really interesting quote from Kelly McCrimmon earlier this week, as you know, everything's getting set for round three. And he was saying, look, we never stop trying to improve. You know, we've always been aggressive in trying to make this team better. How 
big do you think that mantra has been, uh, uh, you know, behind this team's success, getting to the point back where they are now in round three again? Yeah, I think, you know, I think uh, that first year, you, you know, we, we shocked everyone. We shocked ourselves, you know, uh, no one thought we were going to do that well. And uh, it definitely fast-tracked it. I think they had a longer game plan that they had to uh, speed it up. Once uh, you got there, you had had some of the pieces. And, um, you know, Bill, just like uh, every part of every other business that he does, uh, he's going in uh, head first and he wants the best for every company he runs. And it's no different for the hockey. So it starts there and uh, he's a fabulous owner and um, he, he doesn't care what it's going to take. He wants to win. So Derek, give me your assessment because, you know, you would know better than anyone. You were there that first year and, you know, you mentioned that you guys shocked everybody, but you just kept winning, right? Like I can tell I was guilty of, ah, Vegas not making the playoffs. And then ah, I'm not picking him in the first round. Ah, I'm not picking him in the second. I was wrong every time. And it was, it was ridiculous how wrong I was. And when did, when did you feel like, you know, we, now we're not shocking ourselves. Like we're a good team was, was you're one of the veteran leaders. Was there a time in that season where all of a sudden it was like the light went on and it's like, Hey, wait a sec. Like we're pretty good. Yeah, definitely. There was two, two times, um, end of November, beginning of December, uh, our father's trip. Uh, we went to Nashville. Um, Sue band played that night. Uh, I think we won in a shootout or something overtime. I don't remember exactly. And then the next night we played in Dallas and uh, Maxine legacy played that night. Uh, we won that game. Uh, so those are two tough buildings to go in and play and, and win. And um, we did that. And then the other time was uh, right at Christmas break. We played, uh, uh, I don't know which order it was, but Pittsburgh, Washington, Tampa Bay. And we beat all three of those teams here at home. And I think that was uh a big, you know, those are the big three teams out East and you beat all three of them. So I think that's when guys started, like, we got, we got to keep this going. Everyone, you know, loves Vegas. Everyone wants to be here, not just because of the strip, but the, the community itself and uh, no one wanted to leave. So everyone, all the older guys knew when they uh, came in the expansion draft that, oh, you know, trade deadline, they're going to trade me and get some assets and uh, we'll go somewhere else. But by that Christmas time, everyone's like, we got to keep going because we, no one wanted to get traded. Now you must've had some epic parties though, a little bit, wouldn't you have that first year? Like you're in Vegas, like the Christmas party at least or something like how fun were you able to ex enjoy it? The, uh, the lifestyle of Vegas, at least a few times that's that inaugural season. Yeah, we probably, probably went out a lot more than, normal but we knew we had to come together as a team and you know so we yeah we went out a lot but everyone didn't matter who you were your kids no kids everyone always always went together and um yeah we had some yeah you know, we're spoiled here you know new year's you're going out you're sitting right next to calvin harris uh in the dj booth so it's pretty cool like yeah we had a, quite a few good hookups and and stuff like that. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. We, we went to a lot of events as a team and, uh, you know, you're having fun and it's carrying over onto the ice and off the ice, you know, it's always dangerous, Derek, to compare teams, but you guys had just a little something, you know, with your group and you could tell by the way you played and played for each other, having spent some time around this year's team, do you see any of that same sort of mojo. Like I, I watch this team and the way they play for each other, it sometimes just feels a little different than some of the other teams that I'm watching. Yeah. I think it's, you know, you look at the, you know, the misfit line, I guess you could call them now the Smitty, Marchie and Carly. And um, this last round, especially kind of reminds me how they played that first year that they, they were just clicking on all cylinders and um, yeah, you can, you can definitely see some of the, characteristics of that first year team. And I think, uh, the guys in the room from that first year, uh, you know, you guys got flower in there and Revo and guys like that, that are good veteran leaders and, uh, they know the right way to play. So I think, uh, you know, you have Mark stone, who's, uh, unbelievable player plays the right way. And so gifted, great captain. And, um, yeah, he just know, seems like the emotional leader of that group and not oh, just because he wears the C, but just the emotion he brings to the game. 
Yeah, he. It's like he scores a, his first NHL goal every single time he scores. It's uh, and it's contagious. Everyone else gets so excited too now. Uh, so it's uh, he's he's awesome. He's a great guy. I, I wanted to ask you from a defensive perspective, um, and he's a pending free agent. So we were just talking about him on the pod, but Alec Martinez and what he's brought to this group. Uh, he's had a fantastic season. How different, you know, and how critical is he to to what that team does? Yeah, I think he's, you know, he's he's the backbone, backbone of that decor. Um, the way he plays, he sacrifices himself, uh, led the league in block shots, and uh, he plays the right way. He plays. He's not a overly big guy or overly physical, but he'll do whatever it takes. And then throw him, give him the puck, and he's, you know, look at the pass uh, to Carlson and. Was it last game? Cross ice pass. Carlson's one timer. Um, you know, offensively, he's very gifted. You know, he's uh, he's a big part of the the decor, huge part. And I think they, the rest of the decor, follow his his lead. I want to ask you about defense, Derek, because that's obviously what you specialize in, and you fit the you know experience, size, strength. It just seems now the blue lines, you look at these four remaining blue lines, they're all huge. Like there's only one defender under six feet tall. And most of these decors are averaging six foot two to six foot three and 210 to 218 pounds. Like they're huge. Well, is it just that you guys take up more space? Why, you know, cause you know, we see some puck moving defense when everybody talks about puck movers, but it seems like in the playoffs, if, if you don't have puck separators or body movers on the back end, you don't win. What is it about the playoffs that's so different? And did you notice it? Like, were you a better playoff guy because of the style? Yeah, I, th- I think I was. I, um, I think a, a big part of playoff hockey is uh, won and lost 10 feet outside the net. And, um, you know, you make it hard for guys to go there on a seven game series. You, you, you punish guys going to your net and, um, they remember it, uh, you know, maybe they don't go there quite as hard and gives your goalie an extra second to, uh, see the puck. You know, you, you have Mark Andre Fleury or Carey Price or any of the four last goalies in here. If, if they can see the puck, they're going to stop it. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough job to go to the net. And, and I think, uh, you know, if, if, if you're willing to pay the price, it's going to, you know, you're going to get rewarded, but uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be hard to get there. How is the best way then that Vegas can, can break down the big decor of, of Montreal and Weber and Chariot and Edmondson and Petrie when he's in, how would you attack him if you're the golden Knights? What do you do? Yeah, you, uh, th- they got to use their speed to their advantage for sure. But um you, you got to find a way to get to that net. You, you know, like I said, they're going to, they're going to box you out early. They're going to be in your face. And if, if price can see that puck, he's going to make the stop. So uh, you got to get there and stay there. You can't get pushed out. You mentioned before that you spent some time in Sycamus. Did you cross paths with Shea Weber at all? No, he was after me. He, uh, God, I don't even know what year he was there. I think he was right after. I only played one year there, so I think I'm a few years older than him. Or a year. How old is he now? 37? 30, yeah, I think he's 36 right in that wheelhouse. Yeah. So I think he was – he might have been there as a 14-year-old the year after I left. I think he was there early. Gotcha. Um, do you have a special appreciation for what that team's been able to accomplish the, this year? Like, they've been all over the map, and I know this is where – you know, for me and everyone else, this is when the playoffs get interesting because everything's been interdivision to this point and you get this crossover and it's really that first opportunity to size up where these teams have been this year. And, and to me, the North has looked like it's been playing on a little bit of a different lower level this year and we're finally going to get to see that crossover. But the way this team seems to be playoff ready versus how they played in the regular season. Yeah, I think, um, you know, going into the playoffs, I I thought Montreal is going to, you know, could do some damage if they uh, get the saves and that they need that they're built, they're built for the playoffs. You Weber's freaking ultimate captain, you know, he's leads by example out there and um, guys follow his lead. So um, I'm not surprised. Yes. I'm not going to say I'm not surprised, you know, if Traveris doesn't get hurt or something, maybe that series goes a little different. Um, 
but they're they're playing the right way. They're finding ways to win. Price is playing uh, extremely well, and it's going to be interesting. You know, I didn't watch the game today, but two one Islanders, I wouldn't have. I would have picked the over for sure and probably Tampa Bay in the game one. So it's, you never know how it's going to go. Last one for me before we get to some rapid fire, but um, tell us what Vegas has been like. Uh, Obviously we've seen the fortress in, in full uh, since they've gotten to close to full capacity, but what's the town been like? Cause I've been so, you know, just in my numerous stops in Vegas since, you know, the team started just to see become a hockey town has really been something. Yeah. It's, um, I thought it was going to take five, 10 years to get the, the fan base. I, you knew there was going to be fans, but you didn't know they were going to be this, this crazy. And, um, you know, it's every, every day it almost surprises you a little bit more that, uh, you know, there's the license plates, the sticker it's everywhere. It's, it's like, uh, being in Canada during playoffs, uh, you know, down here. And then you go to the fortress and it's every game, it seems louder and louder. So it's, a uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a, you know, it's a show inside of the hockey game and, and they get the, the fans going there. So it's, uh, it's fun. It's been amazing to see it grow. All right, Derek, uh, we always like to have a little fun in uh, rapid fire. The only rule is you got to answer all the questions. So uh, we'll yeah. start out with some, some easy fun ones. Um, if, uh, if you're playing blackjack and uh, you have 16 and the dealer has a 10, do you hit or stick? Hit. At a boy. Okay. Um, what is your game of choice at the casino? Pie gal poker. What's that? Uh, you get seven cards. You have to make a two hard, two card hand and a five card hand. You're, you're playing against the dealer's hand, but you're also, you push a lot, but you're, then you're, you're looking for like the straight flush and then you get the odds for the straight flush. So you can play like you can take a hundred, a couple hundred bucks and play for, two hours okay yeah it's 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 fun all right okay i like it uh, I'd, I'd never until i went to vegas i never played blackjack switch and i got uh, hooked on that and i just oh, love yeah it. so that's that's, that's a good one too yeah a little bit um uh what derek england's uh after a long night or a big win uh, what is your cocktail of choice scotch Ooh, what any kind? Spe- i'm a mccallum Okay. Class. Were you always a scotch guy or is that something you've uh, refined taste and you're old and as you got into your thirties? Yeah. More of my, uh, last five years or so. Okay. Um, I, I liked it, you know, growing up whiskey or rum and Coke or whatever, but, uh, no, now it's scotch on the rocks is it's my uh, choice drink for sure. What is your favorite memory in the crush can in Moose Jaw? Oh, there's a lot. Um, probably some of the line brawls with Regina. <laughs> this, you don't see that anymore. So it's, uh, you know, you'd have a line brawl every month. It sounds like there seemed like. Oh, Moose Jaw and Regina, man. That's an unbelievable rivalry. Uh, my nephew played in the jaw and uh, first time I went there for a Pats game, I couldn't believe it. It was yeah. awesome. Um, November 10th. 2009 was, uh, I don't, I, maybe you remember the day, maybe you don't, but uh, that's your first NHL game after seven years in the minors. Who, who called you to say you were getting called up? And then uh, who was the first call you made afterwards? And how did that phone call go? Um, yeah, we just finished a game at, in Wilkes-Barre and uh, we got, uh, we didn't play so well. And Todd Reardon, he, he, you know, he did a lot for me uh, in Wilkes-Barre there to try to get me up there. And he came in and called, he's like, and he come, come talk to me in my office. I'm like, oh, sh- I'm going to get ripped here. And he's like, and he could go in his office and he's happy as could be. He's like, you're getting called up. You got to f- drive to Philly and fly to uh, San Jose tomorrow morning and play tomorrow night. I'm like, okay. So I ran out, told my, told my wife and, I had to go home and pack and drive to Philly. And then I, uh, I don't even know if I called my parents that night. Yeah. I would have called them on the drive to Philly. So they were pretty excited. And, um, I didn't play that night in San Jose, but, uh, in Boston, uh, we had a couple of days in, in between there. So flew to Boston and then played that night. And uh, in your first game in Boston, Brooks Orpic uh, got hurt early. You ended up playing 19 minutes in your first NHL game. 
How nervous was it for you? You're walking into a room that had just won the Stanley Cup and there's all that Sidney Crosby kid and all these other guys. Just how was that first walking into an NHL room moment for you? Uh, well, when I went to San Jose, I was late. I got to the rink about 15 minutes before morning skate. So I ran in and it was kind of probably a little refreshing because as I'm going in, all the guys are going out on the ice, getting ready to go on the ice. So they're chirping me for being late and telling me <laughs> I'm fine and stuff. So, you know, you kind of, kind of knew the guys from camp and stuff a bunch. So, uh, they, they definitely made you feel welcome and, uh, give it to you a little bit. Do you remember who assisted your first NHL goal a year later, November 12th? Sid and uh, Kunitz. Okay. And uh, also, who was your first NHL fight? Uh, Byron Blitz, yes, I think. I, I, I love Blitz? that you remember your goal more, as you should. It's a little bit more important. Well, since, what was... since I got their stick, they signed their sticks for me. So I have them out in the garage. So oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. What yeah. uh, do you have? Like, of all, you know, you scored a lot. I'm going to ask you a two parter your favorite goal you ever scored in the NHL and then your favorite tilt. Uh, favorite goal, probably when I was in Calgary against St. Louis. I actually, uh, Perron sauced kind of a partial breakaway. I caught on my forehand, went back in and over, uh, yeah, it was uh, came out of nowhere. So it was that was probably my most of the other ones were just shots from the point. So that one was uh, that was probably my favorite favorite fight. I probably got to go with one of the ones with Orr. They were uh, they were battles always. Even in juniors, I fought them a couple times, and they were long and great fights so it was fun oh, i got like uh, jason strudwick's my uh, my radio co-host he tells me there's very few guys he ever played against that wanted to punch through you and or was one of those guys yeah yeah he, he hit hard and uh lastly so Derek england your career starts in vegas your career ends in vegas what what would you say to uh to players about why you would want to play in vegas um it's amazing. It's, uh, there's so many, so many good things. The cost of living is it, it's skyrocketing right now. So I can't say that, but the quality of life here you have is amazing. The weather is always good. Um, you're three hours, four hours drive to the beach. You're three hours to big ski Hills. There's everything kind of right in this close area and then you have the rink and the fans it's it's the best atmosphere in the nhl but i think by far so it's a it's a great place to play great place to raise your family too so yeah how many kids you got two boys and are they in hockey yet uh my oldest is in tennis um big Nadal fan. And then he's nine and my five-year-old's just in learn to play now. So. Oh, awesome. He's awesome. starting to. Yeah. Well, Derek, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the, uh, on the daily face off uh, rundown. Uh, we really appreciate uh, your time, uh, continued success uh, in Vegas. And I just, I really wanted to have you on. I love your story of, of somebody just, you know what, uh, overcame a lot, uh, gets drafted, uh, not signed, and then seven years in the minors, and then you finally make it to the end. And then you spent a decade. It wasn't like you just had a cup of coffee. You played almost, you played over 700 games in the National Hockey League. It's a fantastic career. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, it was a lot of, a lot of fun, a lot of hard work, but uh, great wife that uh, did a lot for me uh, back in the days when uh, maybe the head wasn't on straight quite, uh, quite yet. Awesome. Derek, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, hopefully we get to see you for the cup final in Vegas. That would be cool. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Derek England. What a beauty. I love stories like that. And just like, it just seems so genuinely, you know, happy uh, about his career and, you know, his wife, Melissa has been along uh, for the ride every step of the way. And, you know, I loved how he, you know, he gave her a lot of props because I think, you know, behind the scenes, if, if you don't have a good support system, sometimes you can go off the rails pretty quick. And he, you got to remember, he was the de facto captain of that first team. You know, the way that he took the mic on opening night after the tragedy there spoke from the heart as a, as a, you know, Vegas being his hometown. And, and, you know, I think back to being in Winnipeg when they advanced to the Stanley cup final, he's the guy that, uh, you know, was right there accepting the Campbell bowl. So, um, 
you know, huge part of that team, really well-liked guy, every team that he's been on and uh, just fun to connect with him, you know, and, and to see what he's up to, like, you know, to have a hand in all those different things with the golden Knights and to be uh, one of Bill Foley's trusted advisors is a pretty big deal. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, we were talking to him. He's like, like, we have fun in Vegas, but it's maybe a misnomer that like when, when we go to visit to Vegas for three days, Frank, you know, everybody likes to have fun. You're in Vegas. That's, that's why I do. only ever last three days there. Yeah. Well, exactly. So I think if you live there, you don't go there all the time. And I remember talking to some players who are like, yeah, like even with the perks you get, it can be ridiculously expensive if, you know, if you're going out there too much. So <laughs> I, I think it's fun. Cause if you do want to have a good ripper, like he said, on new year's, there's very few better places to be, you know, Calvin Harris and you're in the DJ booth, one of the best DJs in the world. So that's super fun, but it is, I, I think it's probably a little like we our opinion of Vegas is very different from people that live there all the time. Yeah. It's like people that live in New York, they never set foot in times square. I mean, that's really kind of the way it is, but these guys will, will stop into a restaurant here. There some of the best dining in the world. Uh, they get the hookup, the private room, the private table uh, and that stuff's awesome. But you're right. Like, you know, I can't imagine what it was like living there playing for the Wranglers. Like he said, he told that great story about making 500 a week and he needs to pay a tab for 130. You know, we sure. see these things pop up on Twitter or Instagram all the time. Someone's, you know, tab from the pool in Vegas. I just saw one the other day. It was $9,000 for an afternoon at the pool. They spent $375 on Fiji water. Like it's insanely expensive. Yeah, that's that must have had a big group of people because whew, even on my best days, I don't think I'd come close to that. But that is like a the lot gratuity of water. was like twenty two hundred bucks. It was unbelievable. Nah, so nah, well, hey, if you're spending nine grand in a day, I would assume you know what uh, you, that's a little bit extra money that you have. Uh, otherwise, you're just not making right life decisions. So, uh, we, hey, thanks for uh, hooking up with England. That was great. Uh, enjoyed having him on. It'd be an interesting week. Now we're back into the games. Of course, uh, game one tonight between Vegas and Montreal, and we'll see how Tampa Bay bounces back in game two. It should be an interesting week. And, and we started with it, Frank, we'll end with it. You talked about how it's scout week. And this is this is one of the biggest weeks for, uh, you know, definitely the amateur guys get together, but even the pro scouts, they have their meetings, talking about mm -hmm. free agency and also really drilling down on the draft. It, uh, it's an interesting week. I'd expect things to conversation-wise heat up a bit this week. It's been a little bit quiet, um, you know, as I've continued my fun employment here, I'll have some details hopefully this week uh, to announce and share. But oh, free you know, agent signing for Frank Saravalli. Potentially. Could, yeah. Uh, free Ooh. agent off the market uh, pending announcement. So oh, I love it. All right. Yeah. Well, hey, too so bad we'll have some Vegas. news. Yeah, Frank no will be kidding. Next Friday, we'll have to hook up with producer Ty. So that'll be fun. Well, I look, yeah. I look forward to that, that news. And uh, of course, uh, the pod on Friday. Until then, Frank, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? 
but there's more. You gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's gonna find the back of the net first, and you're gonna wanna be careful, because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you gotta predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.